relationship. He wants every individual on this planet, every man, woman, every boy, every girl, to have a personal relationship with your Heavenly Father. That's what you need. And um, the thing about it is you've got to remember that when God created Adam and Eve, now think about it for a minute, when God created Adam and Eve, He created them in a perfect place. They were in the garden, right? And uh, the Bible tells us that God came and walked with them in the cool of the day. God wanted a relationship. And Lucifer came on the scene and tempted him to tempted Eve to, to sin against God, and he did it. He did it very subtly. The Bible says the serpent's more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And so what he does when he attacks is he does it real subtly. He's, he knows human nature. The Bible says he's wiser than Daniel. The only one wiser than Lucifer is the Lord Jesus Christ. So I got some pretty interesting studies coming up for you uh, Sunday night, Revelation chapter 13. We're going to look at the unholy trinity. Satan copycats everything God does. Every single thing that God does, Satan tries to copycat it. So there's a holy trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And Satan has an unholy trinity. And we'll look at that on Sunday night. And so what he does when he shows up, since he's so wise, is he knows your psychology. He likes to play psychological games with you. If you're a liberal, psychologically speaking, he'll approach you that way. If you're a conservative, psychologically speaking, he'll approach you that way. He don't care if he uses Biden or Trump. It doesn't matter to him. (laughs) We're having fun, aren't we? You guys did not respond to that very well at all. He doesn't care what your political viewpoint is. He's wise. What he worries about, what he wants is to see your soul damned to hell forever. And if he can't do that and you're already saved, then what he's going to do is try to get in the way of your personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. He wants to do anything he can to keep you from getting to know your Savior better and serving your Savior, whatever that means. Just giving your life to Jesus Christ. He wants to stop that. And so when he approached the woman, he approached her with a real slick psychological move. The first thing out of his mouth is, yay, positive. Uh, power of positive preaching, power of positive thinking, power of positive... Oh, be positive, be positive, positive vibes, positive, positive. Well, there's nothing positive about burning in hell for eternity. There's nothing positive about the fact that you're a sinner. Nothing positive about the fact that God's holy and we're not. <laughs> there's, there's the power of negative thinking for you. How's that? Do you ever re- read your Bible and see how negative it can be? God's real. The Bible's raw and relevant. This garbage nowadays about trying to make the Bible relevant, trying to make church relevant and all that stuff. Preach the Bible to God's people or to lost people, and you'll see how relevant that Bible is. It'll get right into their personal business, and you won't even know anything about their personal business. Just give them Bible. He shows up and says, Yea, hath God said. He starts being positive. And then he, he basically gives them the message. It's the general message. He said, You know, that ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. He twisted her mind. Right out of the gate, he twisted her mind because what he did is he got her to focus on the one thing God said she can't do. He said not to eat of the tree that's in the midst of the garden. The way God said it, if you go back and look at it later in Genesis chapter 1, read Genesis 1 through 3, you'll see it all. When God put him in the garden, he said, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. You know how big the garden was? It was massive. Thousands of trees in that garden. But of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, thou shalt not eat of it. For the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. So he said, Yea, hath God said, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Now isn't that basically the same thing? That's the general message, right? It is the general message. 
But what he did is he took the words of God and he changed them just a little bit. That's why you're not supposed to change one word of the Bible. You're not supposed to correct the Bible at all. The Bible's supposed to correct you. So when you start changing words and, well, the general meaning is the same thing, that's all it took for the devil to damn the whole world to hell without the intervention of the Lord Jesus Christ. That was all it took. And she took the bait. So when he just twisted it and gave her the general message, then she said, well, the Lord said we can't eat of it, neither can we touch it. God never said that. She added to it. Her human nature took over and started adding to what God said. So what he did is he placed doubt in her mind right out of the gate about whether or not God's really good to her and how restrictive God is and how difficult it is to avoid that. which God, you can't eat of every tree. I mean, that's ridiculous. Why would you hold me back from anything that I want? Whatever I want, that's my business. And, you know, you can do and be whatever you want to do and whatever you want to be. You, 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 it's all about you. You shall be as God's knowing. That's how he got after him, after her. And she took the bait and she fell. So guess what he did? He got in the way of her and God. Now, what you got to understand is this. The devil still tries to work on your mind in a positive sense. Now, here's, here's how he does it in reference to what we're studying. Well, what kind of a God would send people to hell who've never had a chance to hear the gospel? You ever had that thought? You ever dealt with somebody else who had that thought? Well, what about the people in the jungles of the Amazon somewhere that never had a chance to hear? And what about the fact that, I mean, why would God and how could God send somebody to hell if they never had a chance to hear? That's just not, no, no loving God could do something like that. Well, guess what, folks? God has all those answers for you in the Bible. It's a beautiful thing to see the way God wrote this thing. As we've been talking about in Romans chapter 1, we already saw this, that God's dealing with the Gentiles and tells us how he works on every single man, woman, boy, and girl on the planet. How God works on everybody, and that's the Gentiles in Romans chapter 1 who don't have the law. They have no religion at all. They know nothing about God. They're just heathens and they're out there. And God said that he wrote the law in their hearts, right? So instinctively, everybody on the planet knows if you're in the Amazonian jungle or not, you know you shouldn't take your neighbor's wife. That's thou shalt not commit adultery. You know you shouldn't steal. Don't take your neighbor's pig. Don't take your neighbor's potatoes. You know stealing is wrong naturally. You go down in the Amazonian jungle where they've never seen a Bible and they're getting on their knees and they're praying. What are you praying to? They pray to the sun god. They pray to the rock. They pray to their ancestors. They pray to the spirits. They all have some kind of a knowledge of there's something out there supernatural and we got to be praying to something. Why? Because instinctively God has written it into the hearts of every single person that we are sinners and we need help. So that's where the devil moves in. Because he knows naturally in you, and we'll see it on Sunday night, naturally in you there's a desire to be religious. That's why people with no Christianity jam down their throat and all there are no Muslims over there you know, enforcing their weak and pathetic religion at the point of a weapon. Your God's impotent if he needs you to take a sword to spread his message. All, all we do is get up and give you the words of God, and it is so unbelievably powerful. People get tore out of the frame just by you quoting Bible to them. Don't you quote that Bible at me? Well, if it's so weak, what are you so upset about? <laughs> you know what it is? It's your conscience. The meanwhile, ex- accusing or else excusing yourself. That's what it is that's got you so riled up. Why would you kick back on God? 
Now think about that for a minute. Why would you ever in your right mind kick back on the one that created you and loved you enough to send his son to die on the cross to take away your sins and cares about you and wants a relationship with you? But naturally, you're like, when the conviction shows up or the Bible shows up, it's like, don't tell me what to do. That's rebellion. It's the number 13. We'll see it on uh, Sunday night. So God comes in and starts dealing with every man, woman, boy, and girl in their conscience. And when somebody responds to their conscience, the little tiny bit that they know, God will give them more. This is extremely helpful to me because I remember as a young preacher just being so frothed up about wanting to preach and souls dying and going to hell. And it obsessed me that people are dying and going to hell. It obsessed me. Uh, I remember going into the jails when I was in Bible college and, and witnessing the guys in jail and, and just, just being obsessed, like not able to sleep. And I think that's a good thing. I mean, the Bible says, He that goeth forth and weepeth bearing precious seed shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. I think we need a burden for souls. Uh, if, I, if I offend you tonight, you know, saying, like, if you got killed, where would you wake up? I'm not trying to offend you. I promise you that. I actually am burdened for your soul, and if I don't know you or don't, or don't know where, whether or not you're saved, it is my job to make sure that I get you to think about these things. You came to church, didn't you? You saw the name of the church, right? Bible Believers Church. What did you expect to get? <laughs> you're going to get the Bible. It's not because I hate you. It's because I actually, it's quite the opposite. I care about where you're going to spend eternity. I remember being obsessed with souls and just getting to the point where I didn't even want to slow down and prepare for the ministry because it was like souls are dying and going to hell and I got to get out there and go win them. And, and I didn't understand quite yet that really God's got it under control. Now, I'm not a Calvinist and we'll get to that as we go through Romans. Meaning, I don't get this like, well, if they're meant to be saved, they'll get saved. And if they're not meant to be saved, they won't. I believe every individual has a free will. But I also believe that God is fair. And God is just. And God is gracious. And God is kind. And God has loving kindness. And God has mercy. And God is good. And the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. So with that being said, I know God's working on every individual out there. And I had to realize that I needed to slow down and wait on God to count me faithful and put me in the ministry. Jesus said, the poor you'll have with you always. And I'll say this, we're going to have sinners with us an awful long time. I, need, I had to learn to be more concerned about the individual in front of me than the millions out there dying that I can't get to anyways. I can't get all over the planet. But God's Spirit is. God's Spirit will still be here in the tribulation period working on people because God's fair. And God's kind. And God gives everybody an opportunity to know the truth. So when they respond to the truth that God has given them, light accepted gives more light. By the way, after salvation, that continues to happen. As God gives you more Bible and you accept the Bible you're given, and if you'll change whatever you thought, believed, feel, whatever it is, to match what God said... God will honor that. The attack right out of the gate was, yea, hath God said. So when God sees people that care about and desire truth, God will give those people more truth. But light rejected becomes lightning. Now, I'll show you sooner or later, there's different depths of hell. And the Bible says, thou shalt deliver them from the lowest hell. So somebody in the Amazonian jungle that all they had is creation and conscience and never responded much to it and never gave much of a witness, don't you think God knows exactly how much to give them? 
but somebody who knew the truth and turned from it, don't you think their judgment's going to be worse? God's fair. So what you have when you come to Romans chapter 2, verse 7, is a verse that gets confusing because many say that you earn your salvation, and if you don't study this verse in context leading up to it, and then continue to study the passage, you can get thrown way out of whack. He says, To them who by patient continuance and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. So what's happening is there's people all over the planet that are trying to do right. I know a lot of lost people that are moral, clean, godly, quote-unquote godly, upstanding people. Uh, they work hard, they're faithful to their spouse, they try not to lie, they try to instill character in their kids, but they're lost. They've never received the gospel. If somebody is genuinely trying to do right the best they know how and looking for the truth that they understand, God will give them more truth. I hope that comforts some of you that may have had lost, uh, lost family members die and you're not sure about where they're at. Don't you know God gives everybody an opportunity and they had their chance and you can just trust God with that, that he's going to be just no matter what? I can't put your loved one in heaven for you. But you can trust that God's fair and God gave him an opportunity. So what you have is some people that are patiently continuing in well-doing. Keep your fingers here in Romans chapter 2. We're coming back in a minute, but go back with me to Acts chapter 10. I'll show you an example of this. You've got a guy in Acts chapter 10 who's patiently continuing in well-doing, and so God sends him more light. Acts chapter 10, you've got Cornelius. Oh, let's, for the sake of time, let's skip down to verse number uh, 22. Acts 10, 22. And they said, Cornelius the centurion, well, look at it, a just man, one that feareth God, and of good report among all the nations of the Jews, was warmed from God by an holy angel to send for thee into this house and to hear words of thee. Then called he them in and lodged them. And on the morrow, Peter went away with them, and certain brother from Joppa accompanied him. And on the morrow after they entered into Caesarea, and Cornelius waited for them, and had called together his kinsmen and near friends. And as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down on his feet and worshipped him. And Peter took him up, saying, Stand up, I myself also am a man. And as he talked with them and went in and found many that were come together, and he said unto them, Ye know how that it is a, an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or to come unto one of another nation. But God hath showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore came I unto you without gainsaying, as soon as I was sent for. I asked therefore what intent ye sent for me. And Cornelius said, Four days ago I was fasting until this hour. He's fasting. He's just. He's praying. He's seeking God. And at the ninth hour I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, thy prayer is heard, and thine alms are had in remembrance in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa and call hither Simon, whose surname is Peter. He's lodged in the house of one Simon a tanner by the seaside, who when he cometh he shall speak unto thee. Immediately therefore I sent to thee, and thou hast well done that thou art come. Now therefore we are all here present before God to hear all things that are commanded thee of God. And Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, and in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted of him. The word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You know what Peter starts doing? 
He says, all right, I realize that the Gentiles are obviously getting in on what God gave us Jews. You understand Peter's confusion to the Jew first. So what God does is God sends Peter down there to preach to Cornelius because Cornelius had been doing the best he knows how with what he had and he was seeking God. So what God does when somebody's genuinely seeking God is God gives them more truth. People get a lie because they want a lie. Go back to Romans chapter 2. The other one you can look at later is in Acts chapter 8. It's the Ethiopian eunuch. He's going down to Jerusalem and God catches Philip up and drops Philip down there and explains to him. He says, understandest thou what thou readest? He's reading Isaiah. He said, how can I except some man guide me? And he gets into that chariot and he preaches to him Jesus and he gets saved that day. Why? Because he was seeking God. So God's fair. Look at verse number 8. Romans 2.8, but unto them that are contentious. That's the culture you're in, boy. Anything and everything goes but the Bible, but the Lord Jesus Christ, but God. Go to work. Next time one of your coworkers takes the Lord Jesus Christ's name in vain, you just say, Muhammad. Don't talk about other people's religions. Yeah, well, how come you can say, you can take Jesus Christ's name in vain all the time, but I can't say Muhammad? Good point, ain't it? They're contentious. That's what the problem is. And do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, he says, indignation and wrath. You know what you got a bunch of people doing now, nowadays? Obeying unrighteousness. You, you know, I got, I got first-hand stories in in quote, evangelical churches, unquote, of preachers saying when, when, when the youth group asks them, where in the Bible does it say that uh, um, intimacy before marriage is wrong? Trying to be delicate about how I say it. Well, it doesn't say that specifically in the Bible. Bunch of wicked reprobates, man. You know what would happen? You know what would happen if somebody did that in, in this church? You know what would happen. <laughs> Stinking lost your mind, man. What are you talking about? Haven't you seen what's happened to our country? Don't you know what happens to those kids? Don't you know how wicked that stuff is? You guys realize that when you just when you when you legalize, 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 like oh marijuana's legal now. Okay, it won't stop there. Don't you understand that? They're gonna go for the next thing. So what are you gonna do? You're gonna start shooting heroin because it's legal? It's never enough. So, so you do this whole 70s revolution that went on and, and, and you act like, you know, it's just not wrong and it's all good and it's just love and all the rest of that stuff and just throw the truth away. Just get God out of my face. Well, then you wonder why these kids nowadays, you know, I think I'm a girl in a boy's body and a boy in a girl's body and they're getting themselves mutilated and all the rest of that stuff. You know what that stuff is where you're, where you're having children mutilated? Don't you guys know what they did in Baal worship? They sacrificed the children. By the way, I want to say this. What's some homo doing teaching kids at school anyways? You love kids so much. You don't know how to, how to make them, you dummy. <laughs> you got to recruit because you can't procreate. What are you doing in schools? I love kids. Well, if you love kids, get married and have some. I love kids. I got four of them. That's plenty. Amen. Right? See, they just don't want to obey the truth. So then they told you by science, 
They told you by science that there's no God, that you evolved. And then they go directly against science now to tell your kids that, well, it doesn't matter what you really are. You are whatever you want to be. There's no boundaries. How unscientific is that? I don't care how much mutilization surgeries you have. You still are what you are. You're just a mutilated version thereof. I'm not hating on nobody. I'm preaching to these kids that are sitting here. That stuff's insanity. They don't want to obey the truth. I'm not, Brother Mike. So what's going to happen? You're going to get indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish. Upon every soul a man that doeth evil of the Jew first and also of the Gentile. Why of the Jew first? Because they got the truth first. Now, let me show you something if I can, please. Go to Titus chapter 3. I want you to see something because this is very important. Was when I preach hard like this and I give you the truth, I'm actually teaching hard. I'm not preaching tonight. I'm teaching. But when you teach hard, uh, what can happen is that, that that love for truth starts burning in your guts, right? Uh, you hear a good message on soul winning and you get a burden for souls. And then it's like, well, just forget it. I'm packing up and going to the mission field. And it's like, oh, hang on a second. You've got to figure out where God wants you because that's a big world. There's souls dying and going to hell all over this world. Slow down and prepare. Try to reach your neighbor. Try to reach your family member. Try to reach your friend. Uh, we start preaching like this and saying this stuff. This stuff needs to be taught and said. Why? Because you're supposed to be people that love the truth, right? Our children need it. They're back in school now. They're getting bombarded, bombarded with the other side. Bombarded with it. They get desensitized to it. Nothing pleases me more than when one of my kids comes to me with tears just gushing down their face and says, it's just so sad. My teacher's a homosexual and just keeps rubbing it in everybody's face all the time. Good. That's good that you're brokenhearted about it. Don't ever get to where you're not. It is sad. And let's be a good testimony to them. You understand that? So we're not like these Westboro or whatever these guys are, you know, uh, you know all, all that crazy stuff. Not at all. I hate what sin does to people. I've seen it. I've seen too much of it. I hate the fallout of sin. I'll preach against it. To keep some of you from going there. Some of these kids need it. But that doesn't mean you get too adversarial with the world. You've got to reach them. Look at Titus 3.10. A man that is an heretic after the first and second admonition, what? He said, give them two shots. When they're contentious and don't want to obey the truth, leave it alone. You know, that'll help a lot of you reach your family members eventually. If they have a doctrine that you don't have, you know, they believe in speaking in tongues and you don't. Okay, well, try to show them what you learned in the Bible. And then if it don't go anywhere and they're starting to argue and fight with you, stop. Don't blow Christmas up every year over it. You're not going to change your doctrine. Once you know the truth and you got it down in your guts, you're all right. Don't burn the bridge. Why would you burn the bridge? Don't you want them to come to you later? You know what the devil does to some of you? He puts a heretic in your, in your work field, work area, to, to rile you up. Because there's somebody standing there that you would never think is thinking 
But see, you're not God, so you don't know who's responding to the light they've been given. You don't know whose conscience is bothering them. You don't know who's over there convicted. You might look at somebody and think they're just a filthy, wicked, godless, depraved sinner, and they might be, but inside they might be dying, dying, like dying the guilt, the heartbreak, the sorrow, the repentance, is, and they just don't know yet. And while you're over here with the heretic that's demon-possessed, a trick of the devil to get you all riled up, they're sitting there while they both claim to be Christians and look at how they argue and fight all the time. You give them two shots and you reject them. There's a guy as a doctor. He just has a, he just, he just cannot, he cannot leave me alone. And I've witnessed to him quite a bit. I haven't seen him in a while. I saw him again recently and he says, I ain't seen you in a while. I said, well, yeah, I've been busy. You still coming? I said, yeah, just at different times. I've been real busy lately. Yeah, okay. And I was already ready. I was ready for him. He said, doing good. I said, I'm doing great, man. How are you? He said, oh, I'm good. I can't complain. Uh, he said, I, well, I probably could, but we're all supposed to say we're doing good, aren't we? I said, yeah, I guess that's what we do, isn't it? He said, yeah, I guess the only thing I could complain about is I'm getting older. I said, yeah, well, we all got an appointment. I've witnessed to him a lot. an ant. <laughs> we had an appointment. <laughs> that was his. Now we're really going to get blocked on YouTube. Uh, he said, uh, yeah, I guess we do. He said, I think I'm going to cancel this one, though. I said, no, you're not. I was waiting because I was going to tell him because he likes to argue. I'm going to wait. I'm going to have my opportunity sooner or later, and this is going to be my response. Doc, you and I have been round and round and round about this, and you and I both know I've won every single time, and you don't have any good answers. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. And a man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still, so have a nice day. I'll see you at the judgment. Oh, is there really going to be a judgment? Do you really know that? You'll find out. Why? I'm done. I'm done. I'm not going to be contentious and argumentative, and I'm not going to focus on people that don't want to obey the truth because I want to reach people. Do you know some of those people that are contentious now later might come around? Don't you want to be the one to reach them? Don't you want God working on them to send them to you? Ain't that a blessing? Ain't it great? Well, you're not going to reach them if you're just always getting after them. So don't forget that. When we, when we get on this stuff, get back over here to Romans chapter, uh, or let me get back over to Romans chapter 2 if you would like to go with me. That sounded so bossy. I'm in that fight mode right now. You see it? It's like, <sighs> all right, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. Look at the next verse, verse 10. But glory and honor and peace to every man that worketh good, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. For there is no respect of persons with God. So God gave the Jews the first shot. That's why Romans 1.16 says to the Jew first and also to the Greek. All right, you got it in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. So God started with the Jews. Uh, sooner or later, I'll get to Acts again. I think going through Acts would be real helpful. Because people get all messed up on their doctrine because of Acts. Like what you just saw with Cornelius and like an angel and all this stuff. Well, uh, we'll deal with some of it as we go through Revelation chapter 13 because of the way Lucifer works. But, but that, that was a different time period. That's a history book. The Bible hadn't been written yet. The illustration is 
God gives a man the truth when somebody wants it. So, when somebody wants to do right, God gives it to them. There's no respect of persons with God in verse 11. God don't care if you're a religious person or if you're a non-religious person. Now, what we're going to see as we go through here is the religious people think they're better than the sinners of Romans chapter 1. And, and I, I want to warn you, I'm not going to downplay the sins of the flesh. The sins of the flesh are extremely destructive. But what you'll see as we continue through here is there's two different types of sins. There's, and not the Roman Catholic version. There's sins of the flesh and sins of the spirit. Let me ask you a question. What was Saul guilty of? You remember Saul? Sins of the spirit, right? What was David guilty of? Who was worse off? Uh-oh. Jesus said, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You'll see a lot more sinners get saved. Sins of the flesh get saved. Then you will people with sins of the Spirit when that pride, I'm preaching on that Sunday morning from the next chapter in Psalms, when that Psalm 93, when that pride sets in. Boy, when you start lifting up that head against God, when you start thinking you're there, when you start thinking you don't need Him, you're worse off than you think you are. And Satan will be happy if you stay clean and sober and faithful and godly as long as you're not saved and you split hell wide open. Or if you are saved as long as you're saved and godly and self-righteous and all that and you're doing everything right but you ain't walking with God at all. You don't have a sweet spirit about you at all. You're not in your Bible at all. You've got no power in prayer at all. You're not a witness at all. He'll be happy. So what you're going to see is God ain't a respecter of persons, Gentile or Jew. Verse 12, for as many as have sinned without the law, there's your Gentiles, see it? There's people nowadays in this culture in America that you're in, you're in post-Christian America, just so you know. You're in post-Christian America, you got that, right? I mean, you you go into most of your churches today, and most of the people sitting in churches don't have a clue what the Bible says about just about anything. And some of them are born again, and some of them aren't even in churches that claim to just focus on Jesus and let's just focus on the gospel. And you got a bunch of people sitting in there because, see, they're so paranoid. They say that when they say we're just going to focus on the gospel here. What they mean is I'm a chicken. And if I, if I preach the Bible, the church won't grow and my salary will get cut. That's what they mean. So I'm just getting it off my conscience that we're giving them Jesus so they're not going to go to hell. But I'm not going to do the job God gave me to do and preach and teach the Bible to God's people and equip them in their life to follow the Lord and do something for God with their life. You're in post-Christian America, folks. Even the churches have kicked the Bible out. So as many of his sin without the law shall perish without law. What about the people in the Amazonian jungle? If they don't get saved, they go to hell. But if they had any desire at all for truth, God would have got it to them. You remember the illustration I gave you about the guy in Africa randomly finding a gospel track on the ground in his language? No missionary around? Obviously one had been there, but he's walking down the street and he's like looking for the truth. He's talking to God. Where are you? Who are you? Which one are you? And there it is laying on the ground. That's God. You know God's doing that all over the planet? And as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. Now watch this. You see the parentheses from verse 13 to verse 15. You see that? Watch this. 
Read verse 12 with me and then read verse 16. And as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law in the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. See that? So the parentheses there is breaking something down for you to explain it to you. you got a nice little commentary stuck right in there that God's going to give you some stuff to make sure you get it all. Ain't that cool? Verse 13. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. All right. So all those, all those Jews heard the law, didn't they? And they claimed that they did the law. Who's the only one that kept the law? What did Jesus say when he showed up? When he was convincing them, you ain't keeping the law. You talk all about the law, man. What are you talking about? You're always talking about the law. You're so spiritual. You commit adultery? No, sir, thou shalt not commit adultery. If a man look on a woman to lust after her, he's committed adultery already in his heart. They all swallow hard and stand there, would start sweating and have no response at all. You know what he's showing them? He's showing them, you got a heart issue. I don't care if on the outside you're keeping the law. On the inside you don't. Not a man, not a woman, not a child on the planet that has ever been born and died except Jesus Christ that kept the law all the way. Even if physically you did, you did not in your spirit. Every person is guilty before God. There's none righteous, no, not one. For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, right, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not a law are a law unto themselves. So now he's switching it on them. He's saying, okay, but the Gentiles, who don't know all this religious stuff, have some things naturally that they know they shouldn't do. Cornelius, for example, is a devout man. He's fasting. He's praying. He's doing all this stuff like you Gentiles, you Jews that have all this religion and think you're so much better than everybody else and you're so spiritual. You're quoting all your Bible verses and all the rest of that. What about this guy, Cornelius, who's really doing the best he knows how with what he has? And he's naturally in his instincts because God put the Spirit in you. You don't have, not a human being on the planet is alive without God. So instinctively in them is truth. And what the goal is, what the desire of the devil is, what the world is doing, what people that are already sold to debauchery and filthiness and wickedness and sin that don't want the truth. They don't want nature. It's unnatural for a man to be attracted to a man. It's unnatural for a woman to be attracted to a woman, kids. It's un, it's not, you naturally know that's not natural. So what happens is when you kill that conscience, when you say, I don't care, and you put it down, and you, you feel bad the first few times, and you keep deadening it, deadening it, deadening it, before long, you're just, just, just like uh, reprobate towards God. The Spirit of God has, doesn't have to keep working with you. Those people then are trying to force their views on other people. They're trying to come in and deaden other people's conscience. They're trying to recruit other people. So naturally inside of us, we know the difference between right and wrong. I have always taught my kids, especially since they're all girls. And listen, don't take this stuff too far. We teach them that. But if somebody gives you the creeps, if a situation or a person or a circumstance doesn't feel right, you pay attention to that. And you come tell daddy. 
You don't ever kill that feeling. Amen. There's, there's an instinct in you that God puts there. Okay? Now, I hate it when some woman's got a dirty mind and so she's running around saying, well, I think he's a pervert. I think he's a pervert. I think he's a pervert. Sometimes it's because that woman's a stinking pervert. She's the one and she's, she's just throwing all that out on everybody else all the time and she's the issue. You understand the balance, right? Okay. So there's some things naturally that Gentiles would do. These having not a law are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts. See that? Naturally. So that we're talking about lost people. We're talking about people that don't know the truth. Their conscience also bearing witness. That's why you feel bad when you steal. You feel bad when you disobey. You feel bad when you fornicate. You feel bad when you, you feel guilt and regret when you do something you shouldn't do. Look at something you shouldn't look at. It's your conscience speaking. That's actually a very good sign. When your conscience is speaking. Please, please, please do not deaden your conscience. Do not talk yourself out of it when you feel bad. Don't get around some messed up, perverted person who tries to teach you, oh, don't feel bad, you shouldn't feel bad. That person is trying to ruin you. They're not trying to help you. You know what you can do with your I feel bads? You can bring them to the foot of the cross and lay them down at the feet of Jesus Christ and find real forgiveness and real cleansing and real love and a way to deal with it and move forward with God's help. But you cannot find that if somebody teaches you to deaden your conscience. Don't deaden your conscience. Listen to it. So they're a law unto themselves which show the law of work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness in their thoughts the meanwhile, accusing or else excusing one another. And you're in, you're in the excusing generation. In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel, what's going to happen? If they sinned without the law, they're going to be judged by Jesus Christ. If they sinned in the law, if they had religion, if they didn't. If they had the law, if they didn't, they're going to be judged by Jesus Christ in that day. He's going to be able to take the law and the people that had the law. He'll use the law to show them they knew better. He'll take the conscience and he'll take nature and he'll take creation and he'll take everything else with the person that didn't know and didn't have the Bible and, didn't, and say, look, you weren't responding. But nobody will accuse God of being unfair. Verse 17, Behold, thou art called a Jew. See, he's dealing with the Jews in chapter 2. And restest in the law, and makest thy boast of God. So they thought they were all that. They had religion. This is the religious crowd. And knowest his will, and approvest the things that are more excellent, being instructed out of the law. You ever get around religious people? I didn't say Bible believers that are trying to serve Jesus Christ. I said religious people nauseating man I can't stand the way they talk listen when somebody's just religious and putting on they'll talk funny seriously like our faith journey our faith family that's why I was mocking it on Wednesday and Sunday night or Sunday morning or whatever it was like you don't talk like that honey let's go to our grocery store family our Kroger family we're taking our journey together we're going to lean into Kroger like kind of Preachers talking like that in the pulpit and people taking them seriously? 
That's a fraud. That's a put on. That's a fraud. That ain't realistic. That's religious tomfoolery because they feel so sweet and loving and godly and all this stuff. If you don't love the Bible, you don't love nothing, man. Don't give me that. I'm talking religiously speaking. A preacher gets up and corrects the Bible, doesn't believe the Bible, won't give you the Bible, and isn't full of his Bible and just burning in his heart with a love for the Word of God. How can you love Jesus Christ if you don't know nothing about him? And how are you going to learn about him without a Bible? So you love the Bible, you're reading a love letter. That's what you're doing. You're reading a love letter. Hello? Preacher, don't believe the Bible, don't love the Bible, ain't trying to put the Bible in people, but he's loving? He's a fraud, man. He's a weirdo. Sorry. I've just been around too many of them. They give me the creeps. And art confident that thou thyself art a guide of the blind, a light of them that walk in darkness. You know what they're calling themselves now? Life coaches. Oh, you know Brother Reagan, he's a great, he's going to be a great coach. Get out of here, man. Just think you take a walk. I, no, you're going to ruin what I got going. Just get out of here. Like, if, if I started trying to coach people, my church would be like, all you guys would be gone. All the males at least would be like, I'm out of here. <laughs> it's, it's goofy stuff, man. They, they, everybody's wanting to be a chief. And the churches nowadays are built on everybody has a voice. Everybody should have an opportunity to say something. Eh, not really. Not according to the Bible. You want to say something, go witness to somebody. Go, go out there and preach to people. There's lost souls all around you dying and going to hell. Go preach to them. Everybody wants to be the guide. Verse 20, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes. Somebody came in here recently and was telling people, you need to send people to me for counseling. Just walked in off the street, and that's one of the first things out of his mouth. You lost your mind, bro. I don't know you from Adam. How do I know you're not a stinking pedophile or something? I'm not saying he is. I'm saying, how do I know? I don't know. I don't know you from Adam. You might have a bunch of bodies buried in your basement for all I know. Oh, you need to go to this guy for counseling. Why? Because he said, duh. (laughs) (laughs) An instructor of the foolish. You just showed what a fool you are. Walk into a bunch of people. You don't know them and you've been around here for almost 16 years now. And you don't think there's some kind of structure. If you want to sit and learn, we'll love you and we'll give you a chance to learn and we'll forgive you for coming off wrong at first. But I doubt that's what you want. An instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, which has the form of knowledge and of the truth of the law. They always talk spiritual. Thou, thou therefore, which teachest another, teachest thou not thyself? Thou that preachest a man should not steal, dost thou steal? Thou that sayest a man should not commit adultery, dost thou commit adultery? Thou that abhorrest idols, dost thou commit sacrilege? Thou that makest thy boast of the law, through breaking the law, dishonorest thou God? You know what he's saying? You're so focused on everybody else, why don't you look in the mirror? Don't you realize how much you're breaking the law? Verse 24, for the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you as it is written, for circumcision verily profiteth if thou keep the law. But if thou be a breaker of the law, thy circumcision is made uncircumcision. So what he's saying is, yeah, the law is not bad, it's a good thing. But it's only profitable if you keep it. And when you break it, what difference does it make? You're bragging about your circumcision. So what? 
I'm so holy and I'm abiding by all the rules and regulations. So what? Look at Mark chapter 7. I'll show you how God felt about these guys. Mark chapter 7. Look down at verse number 4, if you would. Uh, 3, start in verse 3. For the Pharisees and all the Jews, except they wash their hands off, eat not, holding the tradition of the elders. So they're, they're hand washers. Now, I'm a bit of a germaphobe. I like washing my hands, you know. I really do. Before I eat and stuff, I'm kind of like, sometimes I wash my hands too often. You know you'd never see me in jujitsu because I am a gerbophobe. Nothing's worse than somebody's sweat dripping in your face. You know what I mean? It's terrible. Blood and snot and everything else. But I'm, I'm a germaphobe. I really am. I remember working construction. Our boss wouldn't, wouldn't let us stop for lunch breaks because he kept us on the clock when we drove from job to job. And he'd say, put your, put your sandwich in your, in your nail bag and eat while you go. So we get, I, I was 20-something years old. I was like, Billy, I was hangry. If I didn't eat every hour and a half, I was going to kill something, you know. And uh, so I had, a, I had a sandwich in there, and I, I remember eating that thing, pulling it out, and I had just concrete all up under my fingernails, all over my hands, mud, and the whole nine yards. And bite that sandwich, you put it back in and keep going, you know, can't, can't slow down, can't slow down, got to go. He got paid by the foot, so we got to keep moving, you know. And I would hear that stuff crunching, like the concrete and dirt stuff crunching in my mouth. It was gross, but it wasn't a sin. Right? Probably good for me. Probably getting vitamins and minerals and stuff. That's why you get some grit in your crawl. <laughs> All right, verse 4. And when they come they, from the market, except they wash, they eat not. And many other things there be which they receive to hold as the washing of cups and pots, brazen vessels and tables. Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why walk not thy disciples according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands, unwashing hands? He answered and said unto them, Well, saith Isaiah, well hath Isaiah prophesied to you hypocrites, as it is written, thy people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. See it? Oh, they're all clean on the outside, but what's the problem? Their heart. Howbeit in vain they do worship me. Show up at church and the Lord's like, I ain't there. I ain't coming in. That scares me. You can be as Christ-centered and gospel-focused as you want, but if the Lord don't show up and ain't working conviction, what good is it? I'd sure rather have 100, 150 people on Sunday morning and the convicting power of the Holy Spirit working on the hearts of people than 1,000, 1,500, 5,000, 10,000 people in my church and God's like, I ain't coming. And somebody gets saved only if they walk in there desperately begging God to give them something and God, the Holy Spirit, can see one or two people sitting out there really wanting something and then a light bulb happens and they happen to get saved in your church because they got lucky. They're not sure where the line is between baptism and being born again. No thank you. No, no thank you. I'm going to stand. I have an appointment too. And I'm going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And I'd much rather give you the I want God in the thing. I don't care how it looks on the outside. For laying aside the commandment of God, verse 8, ye hold traditions as the washing of pots and cups and many other such like things ye do. And he said unto them, Full well ye reject the commandment of God that ye may keep your own tradition. And then he starts quoting Bible at him. Back to Romans chapter 2. That's how God feels about somebody keeping the law, looking good, looking religious, but not really trying to seek God out. 
verse 26 in Romans 2. Of, of verse 25, uh, verse 26, Therefore, if the uncircumcision, that's the Gentiles, keep the righteousness of the law, shall not his uncircumcision be counted for circumcision? And shall not uncircumcision, which is by nature, if it fulfill the law, judge thee, who by the letter of circumcision doth transgress the law? So what he's, the point he's obviously making is the heart. He's saying if the Gentiles are, are in their hearts, they're doing right, don't you think I'm going to use them to judge you who got all the law and you look good and you look spiritual, but your heart's far from me? Now look at the end of the, of the chapter, verse 28. For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly. Neither is that circumcision, which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew, which is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. Now, let me explain that to you, and we'll close for tonight. Go to Colossians chapter 2. Let me show you what happens when you get saved, and this is a literal thing. And this should help some of you understand, and we'll get more into this as time goes on. We're going to go over some of the essential doctrines. Why do we believe we're eternally secure once we're saved? Um, that's one of the ones we're going to go over. We're going to go over a bunch of these essential doctrines. Because there's a lot of confusion nowadays and people, they open up the Bible and they've been in church and they see passages of Scripture, you know, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, you know. Like, okay. And they're baptized and they're receiving the Holy Ghost when they get baptized in the book of Acts. How did, you didn't receive the Holy Ghost getting baptized. You go further on in the book of Acts and they already had the Holy Ghost. They said, can we forbid water to these? As they've received them already. They already had the Holy Ghost. So you've got to understand that stuff doctrinally, and, and, and I'll help you with it as time goes on. Just keep coming to church. But understand this one for tonight. Look at second, uh, Colossians 2.11. Um, well, back it up for a second. Look at uh, 2.9. For in Him, in Christ, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead, that's the Trinity, bodily. And ye are complete where? Ain't that a blessing? You can't keep the law. You've all broke it. Jesus kept it for you. Ain't that great? And then the Bible says, God hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. You know what Jesus Christ became on the cross of Calvary? Ain't that a wild thought? I wouldn't even say something like that if the Bible didn't say it. I wouldn't even say something like that if God didn't say it directly in the Bible. He became sin for us. So that's why... Now, now understand, because we've got a lot of questions about this stuff lately, and they're great questions, and I think they're coming from the right angle, the right heart. That's why we don't have the crucifix with Jesus still on the cross. Um, somebody, I don't know if they're even here tonight, but somebody sent me an email. I didn't recognize the name, but it was a visitor. I think a visitor last week. Why don't we have, why don't we have a cross up in the church? There's no problem with a cross. Just never have. Um, we'll, we'll talk to you Sunday night probably or sometime in Revelation 13. It may take us a while to get through it. But we'll talk to you about religious relics and their connections. So there's no problem with a cross. You're supposed to take up your Okay. You know what the Bible says about a cross? It's a curse. Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. So there's no commandment in the Bible to have a cross up. You're supposed to take up your cross. 
I don't really have a problem if somebody, a lot of my preacher friends will have crosses up in their church. No big deal. A crucifix, on the other hand, that's different. Because Jesus Christ is still on that tree, and that's the focus of some religions. That's not our focus. He became sin for us. He is buried, and the Bible says he descends. So the purpose of all that was he took your sins down and put them in hell. If you're in him, if you're in Jesus Christ, your sins have already been paid for. And he rose again the third day, and he ascended back to the Father and ever liveth to make intercession for us. There's one God, one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Not a pope, not a priest. You don't come to me for confession of your sins. You go straight to God. And he will never forsake you. He'll accept anybody whosoever cometh unto me. I will in no wise cast out. What you've got to realize is you broke the law. Every one of you has broke the law. And Jesus kept it. So you got sin and he's got righteousness. He got on the cross to take your sin on himself. That's why I cried out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is being interpreted, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That's why the sun shut off. Because he created it. He's the light. He's the light. And when the light became sin, when he took your sin on himself, that sun had enough brains to shut off. The earth he created shook. That was a massive thing that happened. God the Father forsook his son for you to make a way for you to fulfill the righteousness in the law. He became sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. In Him. You have to accept Him as your Savior. You have to ask Him to come into your heart, forgive your sin, and save your soul. Because if not, you got your sin on you, and there's nothing you could do. I don't care how religious you are, or how religious you're not. I don't care if you've never been in church before, or if you've grown up in church your whole life. If you don't get to Jesus Christ, you will split hell wide open. That's the long and short of it. No, I'm not yelling at you. I'm what you call preaching. I'm supposed to be teaching tonight, but man, this stuff gets on me. I want to see people get saved. You're complete in Him. That's why you're not happy. Do you remember where I started this whole thing tonight? What did He want to do with you? Walk with you and talk with you, right? He wanted to fellowship with you. The reason you're miserable and you're not finding what you need is because you ain't found Jesus Christ. He created you. And he's going to leave that miserable spot in you until you figure it out. That's his witness in your spirit trying to draw you to himself. If I be lifted up from the earth, I'll draw all men unto me. He was lifted up. And he draws all men. And people either shut him down or they respond to him. They either shut him down to their own detriment and eternal damnation or they respond to him to their eternal life and joy. All right, you're complete in him. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. Now watch it. When you get saved, in whom also ye are circumcised, with the circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. When you got saved, now hear me, this is literal. When you got saved, he literally cut your spirit and soul away from your flesh. Inside, you didn't see it, but it was a spiritual transaction that God did. That's why after you're saved, when you sin, if you touch something you're not supposed to touch, your flesh gets defiled, but your spirit and soul don't. 
How do you think the Holy Spirit of God can live inside sinful flesh and not become defiled? It's cut away. If you're not saved, then every single sinful thing you do gets straight stacked on your soul. Ain't that a wild thought? You know what point he made in Revelation, Romans chapter 2? He said, the circumcision of the heart is what's most important. Now, a lot tonight to lost people. So if you're not saved, you need to get saved. You need to ask Jesus Christ to come into your heart and that thing will take place. And your sin will be forgiven. And He's dealing with you and He's giving you more light tonight than most people get in their entire life. In their entire life, you've got more tonight. And those of you who are saved, maybe the reason you're so unhappy is because you're grieving Him. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God whereby you're sealed in the day of redemption. You're quenching Him. He's trying to get you fired up about things about Him and you don't, you're more interested in things of the world. You're grieving Him. Quenching Him and vexing Him. You know what God wants out of you? He wants a relationship. There is nothing in the world more important. Do you hear me? Nothing in the world is more important than your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You all have faults. You all have failures. You all have areas of improvement. You all have things you need to work on. Every one of you. And so does your pastor. In case you think I'm being patronizing and talking down to you, I'm certainly not. I have a lot of things to work on. You know what I've figured out? I've figured out that if I'll just give my heart to my Savior and really try to draw close to Him, He's got ways of working stuff out in me that I never saw coming and couldn't have got done myself, and it all hinges on that walk. That's what He created us for. And you're created in Christ Jesus if you're saved unto good works, which God hath before ordained that you should walk in them. And the only way to produce those works is to walk with Jesus Christ and love Him more, and He'll get it done. He'll get it done in your life. All right, we'll stop there for tonight. Pick it up in chapter 3 next week. Let's pray and we'll be dismissed. Father, we love you tonight. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for your...